Hello, welcome back to the Ultimate Marvel Fan Podcast. I am your host, David Shire, and this is how it is going so far. A podcast where apparently we talk about Marvel movies now. All right, so this is a special episode. This is the first time we're really going to be talking about something that's not quite so personal to me, and it's more going to be a reflection on a specific Marvel movie, The Eternals. It's a movie I saw a couple of weeks ago, and I let it really marinate, even though I'm talking about this a little bit late. I let it marinate in my brain just because I had a lot of good thoughts originally about it, but then as I kind of started thinking about it, uh, I had a lot of bad thoughts, and I've been kind of just marinating on the on the idea of doing this podcast. But as a quick introduction, I I mean, this week for me has been very stressful. A lot of projects are being due. Uh, Everybody wants everything done before Thanksgiving. You know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Flying out to Maine, uh, visited my father. You know, it's going to be kind of it's going to be kind of an interesting Thanksgiving. I've never done a Thanksgiving specifically with two people before, so that'll be kind of interesting. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, maybe we get invited to some family's house or something like that. Kind of looking forward to uh, seeing him. Uh, Holiday season. Overall, it's just like this really weird, great, and terrible time in everybody's lives. Like, it's great because it's the holidays, you know, Starbucks starts giving out like their way more exclusive primo drinks at this time. I love peppermint mochas, like they're they're to die for. But at the same time, it's terrible, mostly because it's, um, you get oversaturated with with Christmas music. Uh, Everybody kind of forgets about Thanksgiving and already just like breezes past it as soon as Halloween's over. Uh, But also great because, hey, you know, it's a time of getting presents uh, and getting things that you might not necessarily need. I mean, I remember last Christmas, or maybe it was a couple Christmas ago, uh, I got the mic that I'm using right now for recording, so that was kind of cool. But then also it's kind of stressful to give out presents. So again, great and terrible is the holiday season, but spending time with family can always be super stressful. And well, I guess speaking of family, let's talk about the Eternals and why this was kind of a major misstep for Marvel Studios as a whole. All right, so I said this wouldn't be a really super personal to me, but I do have kind of a personal history with the Marvel Universe. I mean, I've seen every single Marvel uh, movie that came out since Iron Man. Um, I was already kind of on the Marvel train before going into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was a really big fan of Spider-Man, uh, the one with Tobey Maguire, uh, where he plays a 30-year-old man, plays a high schooler. And that's one of my first theater memories was seeing Spider-Man 2001 in theaters. Uh, yeah, I was a little bit scary at parts, but, you know, I, I kind of, I, you know, I dealt with it. Uh, and ultimately, how I feel about those movies, and maybe I'll do a whole separate podcast about that, is they're like a mo- they're like a group of movies that I'll watch like once every three years or so uh, because even though the che- effects are very cheesy and some parts of it didn't age super well um, that won't stop f- that won't stop me because I was brainwashed as a very young child to love those movies uh, I and also I think they do hold up in a lot of key areas I think that Tobey Maguire's performance especially in the second movie where he's just like this downtrodden young man who just gets beat up upon and just feels like he has all the pressure in the world still really resonates with a lot of people it definitely resonates with me now that I'm like a freelance business owner who's kind of a nerd and just feels like the world's going to crash <laughs> if I don't keep all these like different websites up. So it still holds a very special place in my heart. Um, and I'm going, I actually even have like this whole plan in my head about how I'm going to introduce like these movies to my potential kids. Uh, potential kids being like Harry and Sally. I don't know. Like I just have Harry and when Harry met Sally on my mind. But 
you know, I have this whole this whole plan for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and showing the kids, uh, showing my future kids first Iron Man one uh, at about like six years old. And then like every year I'm going to or maybe for the first couple, I'll look at the release dates for the for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and wait that long until I show them the next movie and even tell them that it exists. So like, for example, between Iron Man 1, and I believe the second one was Thor, I'd probably give him, like, six months, and then I would probably, uh, and then just do that again for the next movie, the next movie, and then once we get into Infinity War, I'll actually push that out to about a year, just so that they experience the pain that I felt in theaters, not not being able to instantly stream on Disney Plus the very next movie of Endgame, right? So that's kind of my plan for the rolling out the Marvel Universe, uh, and and we'll see how that goes if this podcast is still around. Uh, I'll keep you updated on how that, that's going and that project is going. But I'll say that ultimately how I feel about the Marvel Universe is that while not every movie is cinematic gold, um, it's still a lot of it's pretty good. I think that the early origin movies definitely... St- Parts of them don't hold up. I don't ever plan on watching Thor ever again, for example. Uh, I just don't... Like, I know that seeing Chris Hemsworth being, like, kind of awkward and dealing that doing that kind of weird, awkward fish-out-of-water comedy would be kind of fun to revisit. But after, like, Thor Ragnarok, it's like, why do I even want to go back to any of the Thor movies pre, uh, pre-Thor Ragnarok? And anybody who says that Thor was awesome before Ragnarok clearly doesn't remember what it was like <laughs> being pre-Thor Ragnarok. Uh, the only thing that I think still holds up uh, pre-Thor Ragnarok is that one scene in uh, in Thor to the Dark World when he hangs up Mjolnir on the uh, the coat hanger. I think that that's still just a really funny scene, and it really shows that Chris Hemsworth had that in him. But then after at Ragnarok, it's like why would why would you not why would you even bother going back to those uh, two? Like if anybody I wrote here in my notes, like anybody thinking that Thor. Uh, was great pre-Ragnarok, uh, is just a complete lunatic, and you shouldn't trust any of their opinions. <laughs> but but even though I don't like Thor, apparently, I have a huge grudge against him, and even though uh, there's certainly some other movies that came out, uh, Captain Marvel being uh, an example of just a movie that was just kind of generic and wasn't really meandering and going anywhere, I'd still classify them as kind of fun. You know, I'd still classify them as movies that were enjoyable at the very least. And that's where Eternals, I think, we can start talking about the problems of, of Eternals and kind of the key factors of why I believe Eternals is bad. Now, granted, a lot of this is my opinion. Uh, it's not taken as gospel. You know, if you if you like the Eternals movie, great. If you think it's the greatest movie of all time, uh, I, I have some questions for you. Um, but great, you know, just believe what you want to believe, I guess. Not really my... my uh, my place to tell you what to like, but this is kind of just my overthought, all thoughts of the movie, and just kind of doing like a little bit of script doctoring to the movie to see if we can kind of pitch a better version of it. And I, I just, I had a lot of fun writing this script, and I'm really excited to share my thoughts with you. All right, so what makes the Eternals bad, according to David Shire? Well, the reason why I wanted to talk about the Eternals and uh, and talk about it in its own separate podcast is that I didn't really think at the time before writing the script that I had a lot of feelings about the Eternals. I thought that maybe I could just kind of do a segment on the show about the Eternals. But then I started writing uh, last week or two weeks ago's script and I had a portion talking about the Eternals and I kind of realized I had a lot of thoughts about the Eternals and the way that this movie was made, the direction that this movie had taken and just kind of the overall plot 
points that the movie decided to leave in that I thought were really strange decisions. And after after first watching the movie, I, I saw a lot of potential in it. I saw that there was a lot of good things that could have been capitalized on. And just it was just kind of hampered by all these strange uh, decisions that felt a little bit like studio interference. All right. So before we get into all of that, we're going to have to do a quick plot summary. And uh, and this is going to be a spoiler summary. So if you don't, haven't seen The Eternals and like want to see it after my rave reviews about it in the last couple of minutes, uh, then go ahead and sign out now. I might put a time code in. I'll put a time code in after um, in the show notes uh, so that you can skip to. Um, well, actually, I mean, this whole thing is going to be a big, big old uh, spoiler. What am I even saying? This is crazy. If you haven't seen Eternals uh, and and you're listening to this point now, then you don't really care. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil the whole movie from here on out. I just thought I'd let some people know, but whatever, I'm just going to keep moving on. All right. So the Eternals is about a group of superheroes who came to earth about 7,000 years ago. Their goal is to wipe out the deviants, which are a generic space monsters that are killing a bunch of people. And they are told to do this by a a big, scary man wearing a a kind of Galactus-looking helmet. Uh, His name is Ogmon or something. I can't remember. And I just wrote here that he's a celestial. And he's basically kind of a god of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, from what I understood. And he's totally, totally, totally not evil, right? You could just totally trust this guy. You can tell by looking into his giant, giant helmet with six really terrifying eyes. Uh, It's not, you know, he's not an evil guy. You know, he just he wants to he wants to help Earth for some reason. All right. So it turns out it turns out to um, to do this. Well, okay. let's see. I might actually edit this part out. So it turns out that the Eternals actually about 700 years ago, basically wiped out all of the deviants. And now the story takes place in modern times. The Eternals are uh, kind of all separated. They've gone their separate ways. But then, oh no, the deviants are returning and the Eternals got to get the band back together, baby. Uh, Making them one of the oldest bands in rock history outside of the Rolling Stones. Um, Except their Mick Jagger is Ajax. Um, Ajax being their leader who can like heal people with uh, magic hands or whatever, and she's dead. So their Mick Jagger's dead, unfortunately. But anyway, they they're getting the band back together, and basically hijinks ensue for like the next two hours. We meet some of the more interesting characters like uh, Kim Kimbo Kimbo. I'm having a hard time remembering these names. Who's played by uh, Najil uh, Kanjiani? I'm sorry, I I said that wrong, but that's about. We're just gonna call him Kimbo for the movie. Who turns out that his best solution for hiding away from the planet is to become a major uh, Bollywood star. Uh, We find out uh, (laughs) uh, uh, as the story progresses, we meet more and more of the Eternals, and then their heavy metal guitarist Gilgamesh dies by one of the uh, Deviants, and also the Deviants are absorbing some of the Eternals' powers, and one of them is becoming more and more evolved as the story gets on, becoming more and more powerful. Uh, then it's revealed about halfway through the movie that the Celestial that they have been working for is a bad guy. Oh, no. And it's going to destroy the entire planet with the birth of a new Celestial. Uh, Celestial, sorry. And Icarus, the most powerful Eternal, actually knew about this info about 
300,000 years ago, back when Babylon was a thing. Uh, you know, still last year, Babylon, but uh, to Icarus. But, you know, now it's coming back to haunt him. He actually knew this info, and he is the one that ended up actually killing Ajax. Ajax was killed by one of the uh, deviants that was like frozen in ice that they completely missed out on. And that was the one that ended up getting the evolution powers from the Eternals. So... Anyway, about halfway through this movie, Icarus and Sprite, this little girl that's an eternal that's in love with him, but it's not weird because, you know, she's thousands of years old, but don't think about it, uh, fight the rest of the squad led by Cersei, who's kind of the main character, but, and her love story with Icarus is very super important to the plot. It's even like the first love scene in Marvel uh, history, which is kind of wild. Happens on these really uncomfortable looking rocks. Uh, I don't know why they chose there. Like, there's probably perfectly good beds in Babylon that they could have gone to, but whatever. And... (laughs) <laughs> and, and and she's just like an ex-lover of Icarus and she has all these kind of weird undefined powers where she can touch things and turn them into um, turn them into flowers like she can touch a rock and it turns into flowers or she can touch a uh, a bus and it turns into flowers obviously she can turn it into other stuff too like ice into like metal and stuff like that but I just like the idea that her only ability is to turn things into flowers. So we're going to stick with that joke and keep moving on. Uh, there's also this one uh uh uh, Angelina Jolie's also in the movie and she she's the one who ends up killing the deviant that has stolen everybody's powers and the deviant uh, stole kind of her boyfriend Gilgamesh's powers you know the heavy metal guitarist that died earlier in the script uh, his power was just kind of punching things really hard and then Angelina Jolie kind of kills him and it's just kind of its own little thing while the other members of the squad are fighting each other Icarus and Sprite also Kimbo uh, who who's like the most likable character in the movie ends up not even showing up for the third act to try to stop the human race from blowing up so that was kind of weird but I mean all that to say this uh, this is the big issue with this movie all right it is it is the convoluted plot uh, it was very hard it was very hard to write this sequence of of the script because of the fact that just so much happened and so much of it didn't matter. So much of it didn't matter. Like, I know part of you, when you heard that plot, were probably thinking, wait a minute, what about that Jon Snow character that I saw who asked uh, who asked uh, Cersei, why didn't you show up when Thanos attacked? Why didn't you intervene? Or all the other horrible things. Uh, yeah, what about that guy? Is he important? I'd say absolutely not. He shows up for like five minutes and then he just pisses off the rest of the movie. He shows up in one other phone call and then shows up at the end to reveal that he's like some kind of Black Knight character uh, that's going to show up in a future Marvel movie, I guess. I don't know. Uh, there's just way too many team members. Uh, there's 10 of them. There's 10 There's ten team members in the Eternals. And when I first heard about this, I, I'd forgotten that there was 10 because I couldn't remember. Like, I had to physically count out who the 10 members were because I just, I forgot. And it was a week after, after uh, I had watched th- this movie that I, I was just like... I, I couldn't I couldn't remember I couldn't remember that there was ten Eternals. All right, uh, the movie is just juggling way too many plot lines. There's not enough focus given to each individual Eternals in order for us to really care about what what's going on. There's no real focus on theme either. Like the main villain of the story, I guess, is Icarus, but because it's also distracted with this deviant storyline, that really has some connections to the theme of the plot of of kind of like this religious overtone, this kind of uh, Greek mythology kind of overtone. It has some connection to that and some of the deeper themes, but it's just not, it's not really 
the deviant arc is just not really that important and he just feels like a totally forgettable villain in the marvel cinematic universe i mean the plot and theme i think are really interesting and really and really um thought-provoking right like the idea that the celestials have to be born in order for the universe to keep on going is interesting and so it creates this problem of we kill a billion people uh, we kill 7 billion people, but in order for uh, like hundreds of thousands of billions of people to be created. And that to me is a very interesting plot line. What the deviants have to really do with that plot line? Not a ton. Not a ton. It's definitely more interesting to see Icarus as the main villain and see that he's kind of conflicted with this idea, right? You could kind of make it almost a religious uh, story with Icarus. Maybe he has just such strong belief that the Celestials are good, and that's kind of what uh, he's been preached to his entire life. I think that would have been way more interesting, but instead, the, the movie doesn't even really touch on that. And so, let's just go ahead and jump into issue number two. It's how the story's told. I think that the plot and the way it was told was confusing it was very confusing especially in the first act where they kept on jumping between the eternals in the past and the eternals in the modern day and while certain events in the past definitely reflected what was how everybody felt in the modern day there were certain scenes that that felt like they needed to have that they mention in the present and that they don't flash back to i think for example kimbo and sprite's relationship is really more implied than anything else. It seemed that Kimbo and Sprite were really close at one point, but then they kind of reference later in the movie that Kimbo left uh, Sprite because people were asking him questions like, why is your friend not aging? And he couldn't really live a normal life on Earth. And to me, that would have been a very interesting scene to see. Too bad it's not in the movie. You know? <laughs> like, so you, you get a lot of implied in, uh, relationships. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole thing with Sprite... And her being in love with Icarus is very weird. And also, I, I don't know how you would handle that in modern times other than just to kind of remove that plot line. Because the way they handled it in the movie, they essentially have a scene between Kimbo and Sprite because apparently they're like best mates or whatever. And Kimbo basically tells Sprite, oh, I get it. Uh, you're... you're in love with Icarus. And he's like, well, Sprite's like, what? What? what me what no no and he's like well you're a lot like tinkerbell and and cersei's windy and uh icarus is peter pan and tink always loved peter and gets jealous of windy because tink can't ever have peter pan and it's it's cute ish i guess i guess they really want that cross promotional synergy with that movie that kind of you know <laughs> isn't remembered very fondly for certain things that uh, peter pan did some people still like it i, I don't know but anyway <laughs> but anyway yeah sure disney uh, cross promotional all that stuff that that's great but again that's like an issue with uh showing that and not telling it but also i would have been very uncomfortable if there's a scene with sprite was looking at icarus like all lovey-dovey i don't know how i would have felt about that i i might have closed my eyes just out of sheer cringiness so the fact that that's even a plot line at all is just very weird to me and i kind of wish that it, i didn't have to think about it uh, all that much uh <laughs> and yeah and right and writing this i had like, a couple different ideas i thought to kind of fix some of the more uh more focused issues with the story uh, other things that pop up in my head is I believe that uh, I was watching a video by Ryan George who does these um, these clips where 
uh, it's, they're called pitch meetings where he basically pitches an idea for a movie and just kind of makes fun of how ridiculous the pitch is for whatever the movie is. And one of the things he pointed out is that the Celestials uh, and the Eternals would have definitely, definitely intervened with Thanos's plan because Thanos was wiping out not only Earth's population, but like half the population of the entire universe. And if Celestials need a certain amount of people in order to be born then why would they not stop Thanos? It really doesn't make any kind of sense, right? And so in thinking about this, I thought it would have been a little bit more interesting if maybe it didn't take place on Earth. Uh, Maybe it took place on a different planet and it would make it, I think it would have made the themes a little bit more relatable and like what the Eternals were kind of going through because it's very hard for us as human beings to be like, yeah, like I get it, like destroy everybody and you can, you could potentially make millions and billions more. That makes sense versus like maybe having it take place on more of an alien planet. It might've been, you might've been able to relate to the Eternals more. I mean, like if you do, like you're still kind of a monster, but maybe it would have helped uh, see things from Icarus's and Kimbo's point of view on uh, on things, and and also just like don't like don't do the flashbacks. I didn't I didn't really feel like it helped the movie all that much when you have like this a plot going on where they're goofing around in the modern day versus like this really epic and interesting like B plot where everybody's kind of slowly growing apart. And I thought that that's kind of the main message of the movie is, or at least one that should have been the main message of the movie is how time really destroys family and how that can be a very interesting theme that they could have explored. And and something that they could have uh, really looked into as kind of the main theme of this uh, of this movie. All right. So number three, and here's maybe my hottest take, is that I think that Marvel right now is probably relying a little bit too much on the comic book universe. Okay, well, let me, let me explain. So comic books, by nature, uh, because of their longevity, have a very weird and complicated history. I mean, Thanos' first appearance in a comic book, he was flying a helicopter, and it's a moment that I wish we saw in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I understand why we didn't see it in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. A lot of retcons happen in comics, you know, people die, people come back, people show up as alternate versions of themselves, and and Marvel has done a pretty good job, with like some notable exceptions, of... of you know, retconning some things to make it fit within its universe. And I think the biggest problem that we have in this movie is that the Eternals really don't fit. They're like comic book characters that don't really fit into this universe. And by the point that Harry Styles shows up as Star Fox and says that he's an Eternal, raised a billion questions in my head because then all of a sudden, okay, well, if Harry Styles is an Eternal um, and he's claiming to be Thanos' brother... Does that make Thanos an Eternal? Uh, and if the answer is yes to both those questions, how come Thanos and Harry Styles aren't working for Celestials? Like, why? What happened there? Also, why doesn't Harry look like Harry? Why doesn't Thanos look like Harry Styles? Uh, like, why does he look the way that he does? And where can I find artwork where somebody <laughs> did a digital rendition of Thanos looking like Harry Styles, or maybe one of the other One Direction members? Is One Direction like the most 
important thing in the Marvel Universe that I just didn't know about. Uh, and then I found out later that it turns out that uh, Thanos was infected with this thing called the Deviant Gene. But then what's the Deviant Gene? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a made-up thing that was made up in the Marvel comic universe. And why, why, why should I care? Why should I care about the universe now? Also, why is Ego... Uh, Star, why is Hugo Star Lord, not Star Fox's dad, uh, called a celestial? Why is he just a planet and not birthed from a planet like other celestials? Why does he want to take over the Earth if he knows that another celestial is going to be born? And these are just kind of questions that, as I was scrolling down my Facebook timeline, uh, were get I was getting answers to these questions I didn't ask, and then I would get more questions in my head about them, and that's very that's not good. It's not. I think that that becomes a huge issue and uh, a huge problem for the MCU because if it if it gets a little bit too crazy, then people stop caring because they start realizing, hey, everything about this universe is made up. Why should I care? I'm just going to turn off my brain and not watch this anymore. You know, that's kind of what I'm getting at with that point. <sighs> All right. Well, rampart over, in the sense that I'm not gonna I'm gonna not bash on this movie as much uh, in the following parts. So, how do you fix this movie? First off, I'm not a Hollywood screenwriter. I do have some ideas how to make movies. I know back in high school when I took like a videography class to kind of blow off sixth period, but I do have some ideas about like the plot, the the direction, the theme that I kind of want to share, and it's just you know a couple of things that I want to share. So first off, things that I think are really positive about the movie. I think I really like the actors of the movie. I really like a lot of the performances. Uh, the action looks really pretty. I think that behind the camera work, uh, Chloe Zhao. So how do you fix this movie? Um, well, look, I'm not a Hollywood screenwriter. Uh, I do know, uh, have some ideas on how to make movies. Uh, I've you know watched a ton of movies, uh, and there's, these are just kind of ideas that I like to share. Obviously, again, not a Hollywood screenwriter, and this is just the ideas of some random man that you're listening to online. But you know, I had some interesting thoughts, and I would like to share them with you. So whatever, and you're already here; you've already listened this far. So why not just stick around a little bit longer? All right. Anyway, so gotta talk about some of the things that we I really liked. I really liked a lot of the actors. I thought that they're doing a pretty good job with the performances that they're kind of given. A lot of their a lot of their work had to be kind of more robotic and a little bit more emotionless and the overall feeling of the Eternals was kind of more epic and godlike and I kind of liked that a lot about the performances in this movie is that it felt a little bit more like we were watching a Greek tragedy than we were watching a standard MCU movie. Uh, the action when it was going on also looked really pretty. Uh, the problem with the action, of course, being that you didn't really care about the villain all that much and the giant space monsters the Eternals were facing were fighting for most of the movie. Uh, but you could see a lot of really good work uh, with uh, Chloe Zhao and how she how she was able to uh, film the action scenes and make it, a lot of things very clear. It just really felt to me like a lot of the decisions that I didn't really like were kind of these big community decisions uh, made by the studio. Uh, so let's go ahead and just kind of break a lot of those. All right. So despite the fact that I like a lot of the actors, I think that you could get rid of at least four of them. Uh, these people would be Gil uh, Ajax, uh, The Flash, Gilgamesh, and Mind Control Guy. Uh <laughs> I don't I don't remember their names. I don't feel like looking them up. Those would be the four people that I would get rid of right away. Uh, Sprite would also be a little bit older. 
in this version of the movie. And at the very beginning, there'd be a lot more hints to Sprite liking Icarus. And it's not as weird because Sprite would be a little bit older. It's just kind of an unrequited uh, love scene, love uh, that Icarus and Sprite, uh, between Icarus and Sprite. Uh, I also, I also don't think you need to have a weird scene where uh, that also gets rid of the weird scene where Kimbo explains that sprites like Tinkerbell, and uh, get rid of that cross Disney promotion. I think you make Cersei the leader from the very beginning. Uh, if you're going to get rid of Ajax, I think that Cersei should be the leader, and that Icarus, Icarus throughout the first act of the movie should be more cold towards the people of Earth or more cold cold towards the people that there's that they're supposedly defending but he does love Cersei and uh they never really get together because Cersei kind of is more in love with the people and Icarus is definitely a little bit more cold because he knows what the mission is in the end I think that we also having the celestial plan being revealed at the very beginning of the movie versus at the midpoint I think would be an overall better decision because it kind of builds tension throughout the group. Cersei being the leader of the group, and one of the things I really liked about the movie is there's a lot of subtle signs that Cersei is probably the most connected with the people of Earth. Uh, one of the things that they kept on doing was the fact that she would always look at her cell phone while Icarus would kind of be like all stoic and be like, well, you're still looking at that thing. And he's like, yeah, like, look at this cool stuff that humans made. And the scene where like she showed off uh, the old man filter I thought was great, but you can still do that, but maybe have the plot line take place as way back in the past, as opposed to having it take place in the modern day. Because I don't really think you need to do the modern day stuff all that much. I think you, if you mostly focus in the past, it kind of cre- uh, keeps it in kind of that Greek god mode, uh, Greek tragedy kind of thing. All right? So... That's kind of my thoughts on that. I think that once the deviants are killed, uh, they should just be killed. They should be all gone after Act 1 because their plot is not interesting whatsoever. They're basically just giant space monsters that are kind of in the way of the more interesting story. Uh, I think that the love triangle between Cersei, Icarus, and uh, Sprite would be more interesting if if all of them are kind of in this really tragic like never really hook up or it's just really tragic. I think that what we, what you can do is after that midpoint, Cersei realizes that, Hey, maybe after like a thousand years or so, uh, the, the, the emergence is starting and Cersei realizes that she's, she, she just loves the human race and she cannot give that up. And Icarus just strongly disagrees. And so that's, what's the main source of conflict in the second act. Uh, they start fighting, uh, against each other. You have Kimbo, Icarus, and Sprite me on one side of things, and you have Cersei, uh, Festus, and now I can't remember the names. Uh, Cersei, Festus, and Athena being on the opposite side of things. They have some other MacGuffin that they're chasing and racing each other around the world, but Cersei, Athena, and Festus feel like they don't know if they have enough strength to beat Icarus, and that's kind of the main confrontation. Uh, At the final point of the movie, you have a big epic showdown between the all of the Eternals, and my my pitch is to actually have Icarus kill Cersei, and I think it just kind of feeds into kind of this overall feeling of of tragedy. It's like a Hamlet story or a William Shakespeare story. I'm not sure why I gave Hamlet the credit for William Shakespeare's work. That'd be like if I gave the Cat in the Hat credit for Dr. Seuss's work. But whatever, we'll continue on. Uh, 
maybe it's kind of revealed later that the story was told in flashback. Maybe Icarus is just visiting Earth one day and he decides uh, he decides to put flowers because after he kills Cersei, obviously he kind of comes to the realization that you know what, maybe Cersei is right. Maybe maybe his beliefs and his thoughts about the uh, Celestials were wrong, even though he was probably indoctrinated from a very young age. Because in this version, they don't do the whole forget forgetting everything line. You know, like they don't do the whole amnesia thing. He uh, all these Eternals knew what they were going to do, and Icarus was probably the most devout leader, uh, devout follower in this, and he ends up killing Cersei because of it, and then realizes his mistake, and ends up stopping stopping the Celestial from being birthed from the planet. Maybe he lays down some flowers by, uh, maybe the movie ends thousands of years later in the modern day. At that point, at the very end of the movie, he's laying down some flowers, and then, I don't know, Nick Fury shows up and tells him, he tells him, where have you been? And he's and he just says, I've been running, or something like that. Because it's very clear that the Celestials were very mad at him, and he just started bouncing. Him and the other Eternals started just bouncing planet to planet, trying to run away from the Celestials. And then you just kind of have that be the end of the movie. And if you're like, hey, what about Jon Snow and his magic sword? Did you see the Black Knight in future movies? I'd say, yeah. yeah I mean, that'd be cool and all, but like, make a good movie. <laughs> like, make a better movie than the one we got. And so that's kind of my overall pitch and my three-act structure to the Eternals movie. I think it's a little bit more focused, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more um, just good, better pacing. It doesn't have to be two hours long. I think that you could probably shave a half hour off the movie. And it's just not, you know, it's just not, it's not weird and confusing. And it's just a lot more bearable. All right. So in conclusion, I think. The reason why I wanted to talk about this movie so much is that it's a movie that I kind of like and I kind of hate. And those are the kind of movies that I love talking about because I love thinking about the different ways and the different uh, the different solutions to kind of this weird story logic puzzle. And, and while it will never be fixed and while this is just merely a thought experiment, I just thought it'd be really fun to share with you. And... Yeah, I might be going crazy. I might be thinking way too hard about Marvel and their whole plans for Phase 5. But, you know, that's what I do. It's what I, I, I think about these things. <sighs> so anyway, my name is David Shire. Uh, thank you for sticking this far uh, into the podcast. And that's how it's been going so far. <laughs>